pens, you can still almost smell the smell of a fresh blood, right? And, and there's a, an unmistakable quality to it, right? Anyone that's ever killed a hog, killed a deer, you know fresh blood, right? Even if you cut your own self, you, you know that this is something severe here. There is death now taking place. Spiritual death took place, but yet spiritual life is being offered. Physical death has now taken place to clothe the ones who were naked. Here's what has happened. To know good and evil and to live forever. And this is what we're going to focus on now to to begin here. Man's sin has now caused him to not be able to partake of the tree of life. How could Adam have partook? I believe firmly that much like the rest of the Old Testament and even in the New, is that what we find is that where there is obedience by faith, not obedience by obligation, but obedience by faith, we find that there is a blessing from God. The reason why we've been talking about prayer, the reason why we, we, we do right and obey the Lord, well, a part of it is because that's what we're supposed to do, but certainly it is a way in which, and it is the way in which, that God desires to bless His children. To those who walk before Him by faith and obey Him, He has a multitude of blessings. And I'm not talking about wealth, health, wealth, prosperity, gospel stuff, right? Name it, claim it. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about God, our Heavenly Father, who desires to provide and to take care of His children. Maybe not ever forget, J.L. said something so simple earlier. God loves me. Y'all ever thought about that? We can think about it long and hard and never reach the depth of the heights or, or, or the width of God's love. And so that is His love, not just for the good Christians or for the perfect Christians, because there's none of them, is it? But it is for the one, even the ones like Adam and Eve, who are the only ones in existence who have now sinned before God and stand before Him naked, and yet in His love, He clothes them by His grace and mercy. Now, He does this, and He's sending them out, not because He's mean or unjust, but because He is doing this for their good. We're going to see that as we move along here. Now, as we look, we have to understand that all that takes place in chapter 3 is this. Adam and Eve go from being innocent to being guilty. But then grace steps in. What does grace do, right? Grace allows them the opportunity and allows you and I the opportunity to go from guilty to innocent. Now, in Christ Jesus, the moment you put your trust in Jesus, you are no longer guilty, right? You are no longer guilty whatsoever. There is no condemnation. There is no accusation that can come against you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And so now you go from being so guilty and so vile to now you are innocent. And it is not just now you're innocent and you've got these charges that, you know, are still in your record. It's the record is it's gone. Right? There's no more charges. There's no more accusations. What Christ has done for us is made us not guilty once and for all, and it's as if we never even had to go into the courtroom with anything hanging on to us. All right? Then, what else do we see in chapter 3? We find that they go from being naked to then being covered. They start off in verse 7, the eyes of them both were open, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, and that wasn't good enough. So what did God do? God made coats of skins and clothed them. So what do we find? God's grace is there in the middle of it to take us from being naked to being covered. And what else do we find? We find that they go from being disobedient to we find a faith in God's promise and God's provision. The same for you and I, and it is a gift of grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith. No longer are we saved through just obeying the Lord. And then as Adam could have, and I believe this firmly, 
that it, had Adam not sinned that day, had Adam and Eve not sinned that day, had they remained obedient as God had told him in chapter 2 to do, to, uh, to be in the Garden of Eden, to dress it and to keep it through obedience and faith, that he could have had access to eat of the tree of life. But that physical access to it was denied the very moment he disobeyed. Why? Because there is only eternal life for those who obey. So what does it mean for you and I who are born in this world? Well, we don't have access to the tree of life. Why? Because we're born sinners. So what is the way? Well, here's what we're going to see. God is establishing a way that is no longer a physical way that you walk up and pluck some fruit off a tree and eat and live forever, but rather that Christ who has died upon the tree and made it a tree of life that all who enter through His blood by faith can be forgiven. And one day we will freely eat in the new heavens and the new earth of the tree of life. Now here's what Selhammer writes about this. He says, The author uses irony to show man's, fallen, to show man's fall and his folly. The man and the woman sought to be like God. Verses 5-7. through seven. Their goal was obtained, but ironically proves undesirable. The man and woman who were created like God in the beginning find themselves after the fall to be like God, but curiously, no longer like God in the same way. Their original likeness was the basis of their fellowship with God in the garden. Their newly acquired likeness to God means they're being cast out of God's presence. Why? Because now they know evil. Now they have disobeyed. They have done wrong. So in their attempt to be like God, they're no longer like God. So in your attempt, and in man's attempt to put on fig leaves and to put on the the, the, all this stuff that we can try to do, the more we cover up our nakedness, the less and less we become like God. So what do we do in our nakedness? We must be clothed not by anything that we produce, but by through, and through His grace, through Christ. That's it. Sorensen writes this. He says, The distinction is that God understood sin from the perspective of holiness. They understood from the perspective of guilt implied is that if they were allowed to partake of the tree of life, they would have incurred eternal life in a sinful fallen body. God in mercy prevented that. He had a better way, a new birth spiritually culminating in a glorified, perfect body living forever. If you go and you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what do we find? The very beginning, the Apostle Paul gives the gospel. What is the gospel? Uh, that he delivers unto us, which is whereby we were saved, that Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the Scripture. And then he was seen. And he goes on to talk about how he was, that all in Adam are dead, and that Adam produced disobedience and, and death and separation, all these things. But Christ, the last and greater Adam, brings life. But then he goes on, and at the end of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, what does he do? He says, This mortal must put on immortality, this corruption must put on incorruption. So, what do we find here in Genesis chapter 3? It is the promise that you and I, though we are born in a sin-cursed world with sin-cursed bodies and a sinful nature, is that the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that we are now clothed in His righteousness, and one day we're going to put off this mortal body. We're going to put off um, this wicked flesh. We're going to put on immortality. We will put on something far greater. As Sorensen wrote, a glorified, perfect body living forever. That's the beauty isn't it? That one day everything that is now wrong will be made right in the new heavens and new earth. We're not just looking for heaven, we're looking for the new heaven and the new earth. We're in dwelleth righteousness where we will have access by those who are redeemed will have access to, to the tree. Now as we look here and we see in chapter 3, what do we find? That sin always distorts our view of good and evil, God and man, 
then ultimately it leaves us shorthanded. When we are in our flesh, we have a wrong view of the Lord. We have a wrong view of ourselves. When you and I sin, what does it boil down to? Certainly we can argue pride. It's certainly there in every sin you can think of. Pride is there. And as Dr. Bowman used to tell us, class, what's in the middle of pride? P-R-I-D-E, class. That's right, P-R-I-D-E. I is in the middle.